Today we're looking at the Apostle Peter's denial of his Lord. Now, on one hand, this is a very sad story because it is the story of Peter's epic discipleship failure, right? And that's never fun. Uh, on the other hand, though, it is a story of redemption, and it's a great a story of great hope for all of us, because God uh, redeems his failure and actually uses it to uh, make Peter a much better Christian, a much better apostle, much better leader of the church. So what you're going to see is that when the story begins, Peter is supremely self-confident, and by the time he ends the story, he's humble and God-confident. And uh, God uses his failure to produce that. And uh, it is very, very possible to be a Christian man or a Christian woman and be self-confident. The problem with that is it means we tend to rely on ourselves and we... We draw our strength from ourself, and it gets in the way of trusting God and being dependent on God and, and, and uh, drawing our strength from God. Now, <clears throat> with much that we go through in life, self-strength, good enough. But when it comes to the spiritual realm and growing in Christ-likeness and fighting against sin and and uh, having a, a, a spiritual impact in the world. What you and I have in ourselves, it's not enough. And what we need is we need the power of God uh, at work in us and through us in the world. And that, do, that only happens when we, we become humble and dependent on God. And we, we look to Him for our strength. So this is a, I, I, I find this to be a very instructive, a very encouraging, uh, powerful story. Well, it begins on the night that Jesus is betrayed. Uh, the Last Supper has already happened. They ate it in Jerusalem. Uh, they wrapped it up kind of around midnight with a hymn, and then they, they headed off to the Mount of Olives, which Pastor James reminded us last week is not an Alaskan mountain. It's more like Blueberry Hill once you're already at the parking lot up there at Flot Top, right? Uh, I've been there to the Mount of Olives. You, you come out of Jerusalem, you kind of go down a little valley and, and up this small hill. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is uh, located on the Mount of Olives. And so there's somewhere there. It, it, we don't know if, if this story starts... While they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, very possibly uh, before or slightly after. Uh, but Jesus tells his disciples, now there are 11 with him. Judas has already uh, gone to betray Jesus, but the 11 apostles are there with Jesus. And Jesus tells them, guys, tonight you're going to all fall away. And they're, what? What? Peter, of course, tends to be the leader of the group, and Peter uh, responds, Jesus, no, you've got it wrong. I'm not going to uh, abandon you. Even if I have to go to prison, even if I have to die, I will not abandon you. 
Uh, and, and what he's saying is, I know my heart. I'm all in. And I've got it, what it takes to go the distance. Um, so, by the way, this sermon, I, here's the structure. Tell the story. Explain the point of the story. Drive the point home. That's, that's what you're getting. And I'm looking at all four Gospels, and I'm pulling from all four Gospels uh, details of this story, but we're only going to be looking at Matthew's account. Um, this story of Peter's denial is recorded in all four Gospels, which means it is a very important event. Uh, all, all of the Gospel writers want us to know about this because there's something important to learn. So here's the way Matthew describes what I've just been talking about. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they sing a hymn to conclude the Passover meal or the Last Supper. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus is reaching back into the Old Testament to a prophecy made about the time of the Messiah hundreds of years earlier, and he's applying it to his life on that particular night. See, Jesus, the Son of God, knows who he is, and he knows that the time is at hand, like tonight. The things that the, that the prophets foretold are going to be fulfilled Right now, right here. And because, because God has said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, well, I'm the shepherd, you're my sheep, you will scatter tonight because God has ordained it and said it is so. Verse 32, but after I am raised up, so Jesus knows that he will rise from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. And so he's telling him, post-resurrection, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Galilee is up north, and that's where Jesus did most of his ministry. Uh, by the way, when I went to the Sea of Galilee uh, a few years ago, I thought, this is a nice place. It's kind of like the resort area in Israel. Jesus chose the sweet spot to hang out and do ministry, and I thought, that's why I'm in Alaska, right? A sweet spot. Verse 33, Peter answered him. Oh, feel the hubris in that. Jesus, whom he's already admitted is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, uh, it, and Peter had already said, you have the very words of eternal life, Jesus. And yet he feels... He feels that he can correct Jesus. In fact, Jesus is applying a, a, a Bible verse to their situation, and Peter feels like he can, he can challenge that. Peter answers, Jesus has just made some assertions about what will take place in Peter's life, and Peter says, you've got it wrong because I know myself better than you know me. See, Jesus, you're saying I'm going to fall away, but I know me. I have what it takes to go the distance. I'm not going to fail you. I, I'm going, I'll go to prison. I'll die with you if I have to. I'm not going to fall away. You've got it wrong. You've got it wrong, Jesus. 
Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. No, by the way, these, these other 10 guys, yeah, they might fall away. I can understand that. You know, not, maybe at, at best case, he's saying, I don't know their hearts, right? But he's comparing himself, right? They, they might fall away. I will never fall away. I, do you, do you hear the supreme self-confidence in this? I mean, Peter is absolutely confident that he's got what it takes to go the distance spiritually to be a, a, a disciple without failure. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. In another gospel, we know that he said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He's not, Peter is not giving in. And all the disciples said the same. So catch that, by the way. Peter's not the only one. All the other disciples said, we will die. We will not fall away. And so there is a, there is a self-confidence among the disciples. We have what it takes. We have the strength of will to go the distance as a disciple and not fail. It is possible to be a Christian and still be full of self-confidence. But God doesn't want us to stay there. Because it gets in the way of our dependence on the God. It gets in the way of our uh, looking to Him for His strength to fight the spiritual battles in life. And if we fight Him in our own strength, we will fail. We will fall. So the story continues. Um, Judas does come with a, with a mob from, uh, sent by the chief priest in order to arrest Jesus. Uh, the garden does, you know, there are no electric lights, so it's dark. And Judas says, the man I kiss, he's Jesus. He's the one you want to arrest. And so he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Uh, and uh, the mob comes in, including some guards sent by the high priest in order to arrest Jesus. Now, at this moment of confrontation between the crowd and uh, Jesus, Peter... He whips out a sword. In fact, uh, we, we learn in one of the Gospels, the disciples had, there were two swords amongst the group. Peter wields one of the swords, and he pulls it out, and he slashes the ear off Malchus, uh, who is a servant of the high priest. And Jesus, so, so, so catch, I mean, you gotta, gotta give Peter some credit, Right? He, he feels that the, the, the moment of battle has arrived. He is ready to defend Jesus. He's risking his life. And Jesus stops him and says, No, Peter, sheathe your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Peter, don't you know this has to happen so that I drink the cup the Father has for me? If I wanted rescue, I could call down angels from heaven to rescue me, Peter. And so now Peter is... Now what's he going to do, right? I can't, I can't wield a sword. And Jesus submits himself to the crowd, and they haul him off to, to the house of Annas, who was 
was a high priest in years past. The, the high priest that year was his son-in-law, Caiaphas, but they, Jesus is taken first to the house of Annas. And uh, the disciples scatter. Peter, however, follows the crowd from a distance. John, apparently John went with the crowd because he was known to the house of the high priest. So he was, he was known and he was allowed to actually accompany Jesus right into Annas' house and, and into the, the upper room where Jesus was interrogated. Um, by the way, the, the, uh, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, uh, never names himself, but we're pretty sure it's him because he talks about a young follower of Jesus who followed after the, the crowd wearing only a linen cloth, and he was seized, and in fleeing, the cloth fell off and he ran naked away. I don't know why he tells us that. It's kind of an amusing anecdote. But all the other disciples, they, they're, they're scattered to the winds. Peter follows uh, the crowd right up to the gates of the courtyard. So there's a house, and the house has uh, a courtyard, a gated courtyard around it. Peter goes right up to the gate. John uh, because he's known to the house, John asks the servant girl in charge of the gate to let Peter into the courtyard, and so she does. And she lets Peter into the courtyard. They had a charcoal, a charcoal fire had been built in order to warm the servants and the guards. And Peter then comes up to the fire and sort of joins that crowd, warming himself. The servant girl who was watching the gate and let Peter in kind of is looking intently at him through the light of the fire and she says, hey, wait, you're one of his followers. You were with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I wasn't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Denies Jesus the first time. And sort of to escape the, the pressure of the moment, he, he walks away from the fire and, and back towards the, towards the gate. A second servant girl, relative of Malchus, the servant whose ear Peter chopped off in the garden, she says, wait a second, I, I saw you in the garden. Yeah, she probably noticed, you know, the guy who chopped off her relative's ear, right? And she's like... You were with Jesus in the garden. You're one of his followers. This time he, he, he makes an oath. I promise you, I, I swear, I, I don't know the man. You've got it wrong. Denial number two. Probably because he's been, well, it, uh, we're told that he's denying it in front of the whole group, loudly enough for the group to hear. Finally, the, the group just sort of clues in, You've got a Galilean accent. You're not from around here. You must be a follower of Jesus because they're all from Galilee. And so they, they challenge him a third time. You must be a follower of Jesus because of your accent. And at this time, Peter denies with curses. May God, we don't know what he said, but, you know, may God strike me dead. May God hold me accountable if I know that man. Third denial. 
One of the gospel tells us at exactly that moment, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. There's eye contact. People speculate, what was the look? Was it a look of disappointment, disgust, I told you so, accusation? Was it a look of compassion, love, forgiveness? We're not told. But one thing for sure, Peter knows, I was seen at my worst. Jesus, this is not a private sin. This isn't a denial I can deny in the future. Jesus saw it. He witnessed it. Jesus heard me calling down curses on myself as I lied that I knew him, as I denied knowing my Savior. Precisely, you know, this is all happens in a moment. He denies, Jesus looks at him, and the rooster crows the second time. Here's the way Matthew describes this. Matthew 26, 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Though though I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Starts off supremely self-confidence. I can go the distance. And then in the press of the moment, he denies Jesus, denies Jesus, denies him again. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He has failed his friend. He's failed his master. He's failed the Messiah. He's denied even knowing Jesus. As far as we know, that was the last encounter Peter had with Jesus until after the resurrection. So for days, I'm sure Peter thought, that's it. Jesus is, is, is going to be killed, and the, the last interaction I had with Jesus is denying him and locking eyes with him in the midst of my cursing and denial. We don't know that Peter was, uh, there's no indication that Peter was at the cross. I'm sure Peter was aware of what was happening. 
and for days, possibly weeks. I think Peter's self-confidence was just utterly crushed. I did not have what it took to go the distance. Well, there's good news. The story doesn't end there. Uh, In the Gospel of John, we are told about uh, a resurrection uh, restoration. Jesus, after rising from from the dead, made it a point to restore Peter's confidence. But he he doesn't restore Peter's self-confidence. He restores a new kind of confidence, a God confidence. And see, that's where we want to go. We want to go from being self-confident to being God confident, and it's totally different. See, God confidence says not, I can do all things, Philippians 4.13, Right? That's, that, that's self-confidence. I can do all things. God-confidence says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not on my own, but empowered by God, I can do all things. So a Christian can and should be supremely confident, not self-confident, confident in God. If God wants me to do it, God can do it in and through me. But we have to depend on the Lord. We have to be tapping into His power. So here's this. This is just a beautiful, touching uh, story. John chapter 21, verse 15. Uh, Jesus has now appeared to His disciples three times since rising from the dead. In this third appearance, He cooks uh, breakfast for His disciples. And we read this, John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now just pause for a second, it's been a while since Peter's denial. Peter is now getting, uh, getting the picture that Jesus actually has, you know, power over death, and I'm sure that's amazing, but he still is the disciple who denied Jesus, and what does that mean? So I think he's I think he's I think he's impressed with Jesus. He's a believer, but his own who am I, right? What's what is there for me? I uh, you know, is there even forgiveness for me? Is there any role in this the the, the kingdom of the Messiah? I, I think he's unsure. That's my suspicion even though we're not told that. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? More than these what? Other disciples? More than these fish and bread? We don't know. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Okay, so feel this. Do you love me? Yes. 
by the way, there's no, I, I don't see in Peter's responses any self-assertion, any, let me, you know, the proof given, any blustering. All he says is, you know me, you see my heart, and, and you know I love you. I think that's all Peter had left, right? I know, I, I do love you, Jesus, and you know me, you know I love you, you know, know that love is real. But three times he's asking, at which Peter interprets as, you know, Jesus is doubting. And, and, and that grieves Peter. But Jesus is not doubting Peter's love. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus knows Peter loves him, despite his epic failure and denial. See, what Jesus is doing is he's giving Peter an opportunity to assert his love for as many times as he denied knowing Jesus. It's, it's a... It's a method of restoration. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So, see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, Peter, you love me. Let's... We have that. That hasn't gone away. And, and I still have a role for you. Right? I told you uh, that your name is Peter, and, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Uh, I want you to lead the church. And yes, you failed, but that doesn't mean I'm done with you. You can be restored. I still have a, a role for you to play. I still have a purpose for you. And so this is, the rest, this is the moment in which Jesus restores Peter, uh, the apostle. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Peter, you know, you read through the book of Acts, and, and Peter does go on to become the leader of the church. Uh, and, and, and God does powerful works through Peter. Peter is, a, is a, a, an important and faithful uh, leader of the church all the way to the point of martyrdom. He, he is actually crucified upside down because of his uh, unwavering uh, faith in Jesus and testimony about Jesus. The Apostle Peter wrote a couple of letters that are recorded for us in the Bible, and I want to just read you from uh, one of them, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want you to listen to the heart. So remember there's Peter, the supremely self-confident Peter, epic failure. Jesus restores him. Now, years later, listen to Peter. This is, a, this is a, a different Peter, a humble Peter, a Peter who, uh, who turns our eyes to God and God's strength. So, here we are in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, Here's the guy who said, though they all fall away, I'll never fall away. And now he's saying, put on humility like clothes toward one another. Be humble in your relationship with other Christians. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace, unmerited favor, divine empowerment. You want God to be at work in your life? Be humble. That's how you get the power of God uh, helping you, is through humility. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves. God wants his people to be humble. And we have two alternatives. We can humble ourselves or God will humble us. And which do you think is the uh, less severe track, right? Humble yourselves. And I don't know of a better way to humble ourselves than to be regularly declaring our dependence on God. Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit, John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So declare that. Just go through your day and, and just find, um, just make it a habit of saying, Lord, I need your help. God, I declare my dependence on you. God, uh, I, <clears throat> I had a wonderful uh, dinner last week with a, with a long friend, a friend of mine for many years. In fact, we went to seminary together. And he's now 51, and he said, uh, I had the privilege of marrying him in his 40s. So he got, he got married later in life, and now he has a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And internally, I laugh at him because... And so when he tells me this, he just said, oh, Mike, I got to tell you, I don't have what it takes to be a patient dad to a four and a six-year-old and to be all that my wife needs me to be. I just, this is a younger man's game. And so I have found myself struggling with anger and irritability. And he said, I have, I, you know, sometime this last year, he said, I just came to, I was like, I need God's help in a way I have not felt for a long time. And, and so I have just made it a commitment to go spend time with Jesus. And uh, he, he's, he's the kind of guy who was like, I'm actually tracking this. I track how many hours a week I spend but he's like, I, I'm listening to sermons, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm purposely going to spend time with Jesus so that he changes me to, into a better person so that the next time my you know, kids irritate me or the next time I'm tired and my wife asks my help, I'll respond differently. See what he's saying? He's like, he's like I'm at a point in my life where I realize my strength won't get me where I need to be. As a, as a man of God, I've got to have God helping me. And so he's, he's intentionally practicing these spiritual disciplines as a way to unleash the, the grace of God in his life. So dependence, do not, you know, as a Christian, we make a huge mistake. We cut ourselves off from God's help and power when we try to just go through it on, in, on our own. Uh, and rather just be saying, God, help, right? I've got a meeting coming up. I've got a decision to make. Lord, I'm, uh, I'm feeling this tension in my heart. Would you please give me your peace? Your, I, I need wisdom. Oh, my goodness. If you're not praying for wisdom, you're crazy, right? James, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Uh, so the, the help of God is available to us. But in order to tap into that, we have to say, God, help me. I need, right? Do not fear being a person who's needy. As a Christian, we are needy people. And that's, that's a way to unlock the help of God and the grace of God in our life. So here's Peter. 
That's what he's saying. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Don't try to, don't try to do it on your own. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not unique. The hardships that you're experiencing, Christians have all, all over the world are experiencing those things. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is a different Peter. This is a Peter who is no longer relying on himself to go the distance as a disciple. But he is saying, you go to God. You humble yourself toward your brothers. You humble yourself before the Lord. You, 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 you cast your anxieties on him. He will restore you. He'll strengthen you. He'll establish you. He'll confirm you. Which way do you want to live? If you try to do the spiritual life in your own strength, you're going to end up like Peter, failing epically. So let's humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. One final thought. You know, Peter stands as a foil to Jesus. You know, Peter who... who, who he was a strong-minded guy. He, he knew he was a strong-willed guy who had made a, a total commitment to be faithful to the end, and yet, he, yet when push came to shove, he, he, said, he protects himself. And Jesus Christ, though, went the distance. He went all the way to the cross, even though he could have called down angels. He could have changed his testimony and gotten out of it, and he, instead he went all the way to the cross because Jesus is not just human. Jesus is divine. He is the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, and he doesn't fail. He didn't fail us at the cross, and he'll never fail us. And so living dependent upon him uh, is a safe, a safe thing to do. Let's pray. So as the band comes back up, number one, you might be thinking, I'm like Peter before his failure, supremely self-confident, believing I can do it on my own. Just humble yourself. Admit that that's a mistake. To, to say to the Lord, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I accept that. I believe that. I want your grace at work in my life in all areas. Secondly, maybe you are Peter. Maybe you're, you're like Peter before Jesus restored him. You have failed epically. And you're wondering, is there forgiveness for me? Is there a, a, a restoration of possible? Is there a future for me? Can God still use me? The answer to that is yes. That's why Jesus went to the cross. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us 
of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let Jesus restore you. Let him dust you off, pick you up, dust you off, and say, now, get back to making a kingdom difference. And if you're here today and you have never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian, that's your next step. And uh, nothing I would rather do than talk with you and pray with you about that. So come see me after the service. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. Lord, we are so thankful that you let us see Peter's failure so that we could rejoice and take hope in his restoration. You didn't give up on him. You used him powerfully in your church. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.